Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the evening service of Sunday the 9th of April 2017, entitled Jesus Speaks from the Cross Part 3. And the Bible reading is taken from John chapter 19 verses 16 to 30. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. Gospel of John chapter 19, I invite you to stand as we honor the reading of God's holy word beginning in verse 16 and reading down through verse 30. Then delivered he him therefore unto them to be crucified. And they took Jesus and led him away. And he bearing his cross went forth into a place called the place of a skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him and two other with him on either side one and Jesus in the midst. Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross. The writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. This title then read many of the Jews, for the place where Jesus was crucified was nigh to the city, and it was written in Hebrew and Greek and Latin. Then said the chief priest of the Jews to Pilate, Write not the King of the Jews, but that he said, I am King of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts to every soldier apart, and also his coat. Now the coat was without seam, woven from the top throughout. They said, therefore, among themselves, Let us not rend it, but cast lots for it, whose it shall be that the scripture might be fulfilled, which saith, They parted my raiment among them, and for my vesture they did cast lots. These things, therefore, the soldiers did. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother, and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus, therefore, saw his mother and the disciples standing by, whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, Behold thy son. Then saith he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour that disciple took her into his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Now there was yet a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar and put it upon hyssop and put it to his mouth. When Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head, and he gave up the ghost. Father, thank you that we have your word before us. Lord, that record these great events that took place there at Calvary over 2,000 years ago. And Lord, as we take time to look at these words that Jesus spoke from the cross while he was hanging there, I pray, Lord, that they would speak to our hearts now in our lives. It would be something that would help us, encourage us, challenge us. Father, we pray that as we look this evening, that you would be with us, speak through us, speak to the hearts of every individual, and we'll give you thanks and praise for it. In Christ's name we pray, amen and amen. As we have looked at this passage in the last few weeks, we have looked at the first three statements that Jesus spoke as he hung there upon the cross. 
we find that in the first instance, we saw that the very first things that came out of Jesus' mouth were things that related to others, not himself. The first statement that he made was, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You see, it concerned every sinner's, every sinner's greatest need because it related to forgiveness, which is what he'd come to impart to man. The second word spoken from his mouth there on the cross, as he spoke to the thief that hung with him, he said, Verily I say unto thee, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. You see, it's still relating to others. First of all, it was concerning every sinner's greatest needs relating to forgiveness. But secondly, concerning every saint's greatest fear relating to the future. What does the future hold for us? Well, in the Lord Jesus Christ, it no longer just holds paradise, that temporary place, but it holds heaven for all of eternity. Thirdly, it's still related to others, but this statement concerned possibly every man's greatest responsibility here on earth, and that's relating to the family. We find that it was there in the words that we just read here, but as he hung there and he looked to John and he said, woman, or he looked to Mary and he said, woman, behold, thy son. And he looked to John and he said, behold, thy mother. He was making sure that his mother was cared for. And we saw last week how that that same kind of care, Jesus asked for each and every one of us. In all of these, we find that, we find that they related to others. It was only in the fourth statement that we want to look to this evening, which in fact is not recorded for us here in John's recording of the events because he doesn't record everything that took place there at Calvary. But Matthew recorded them back in Matthew chapter 27. We find that, notice as we look there in verse 45 and 46, it says, Now from the sixth hour... There was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why hast thou forsaken me? And of course, Mark records these same words for him there. But as we hear Jesus cry these words from the cross, I think that in part it begins to reveal to us the awful price that he had to pay for each and every one of us. It's interesting that as we look at the scriptures and we look at the birth of Jesus into this world some 33 and a half years prior to the events at Calvary, it was an extraordinary light, a star like no other that was seen in the sky that guided them there to the birth of this one called Jesus in Bethlehem. But instead of extraordinary light, as he leaves this world on the cross, it's extraordinary darkness that engulfs the world that is death. The Bible teaches us that from the sixth hour, which 
In our calendar, that would be about noon. Remember, noon, when sun is at its highest peak, when it's at its brightest point, when it's at its pinnacle, from noon until about three in the afternoon, total darkness. Scriptures don't explain everything about it. We don't understand all of the darkness and the silence. The silence is broken, though, at the end of that, that ninth hour, about three o'clock in the afternoon, it's broken with this cry that Jesus cries out as he's hanging there on the cross. It's the only time in Scripture that he can't call his father, Father. He says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why could he only call him God and not call him Father at that point? Because at that point, he took on your sin. And he took on my sins. And he took on the sins of the whole world. The words that are recorded here for us, that are then translated into the English, what it was that he was saying, were recorded in the Syriac language of his childhood when he was growing up as a boy in that carpenter's shop. Why this cry? Because for those three hours, he was forsaken because he was literally made sin for us. This cry that came forth, I don't really believe that any created intelligence can possibly fathom the depths of that cry. I believe that it's deeper than the deepest soul of man can possibly go that it has even ever touched as he was forsaken in our place. Forsaken so that you and I would not have to be forsaken by God in our sin. God is trying to find a way to bring you to himself. You find that it was a supernatural darkness, a supernatural silence. A few things from some great preachers of bygone years. The Prince of Preachers, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, as he was called the Prince of Preachers, certainly a man used greatly of God. He said this darkness was supernatural. It was not an eclipse, of course, as some would try to explain it away. The sun could no longer, no longer look upon its own maker, surrounded by those who mocked him and laughed at him there before the cross. The great preacher and commentator Alexander McLaren said this. He says, it was nature divinely draped in mourning over the sin of sins, the most tragic of deaths. It was a symbol of the eclipse of the light of the world, but ere he died, it passed, and the sun shone in his, on his expiring head in token that his death scattered our darkness and poured day upon our sad nights. Another great London preacher, F.B. Meyer, 
because men might have gazed rudely on his dying agony. Nature refused to behold it. Men had stripped him, but an unseen hand drew drapery about him. For three hours it lasted and was a befitting emblem of the darkness that enveloped his soul when he who knew no sin was made to be sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Do you wonder what he felt thus and question how such a forsaking had been possible at such an hour? He says there is but one explanation. This was not a normal human experience. He speaks these words which we touched on this morning only once in the history of the human race has all iniquity been laid upon one head. Only once has the curse of sin of the world been borne by one heart. Only once has it been possible in drinking the cup of death to taste death for every man. He who knew no sin was made sin for us. He was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities. On no other hypothesis than that Jesus was the Lamb of God bearing away the sin of the world can you account for the darkness of that midday midnight which obscured his soul. He says, I cannot tell what transpired. I have no philosophy of the atonement to offer. I only believe that the whole nature of God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself and that in virtue of what was done there, we may apply for forgiveness to the faithfulness and justice of God. Some have said that it was, this darkness was nature's way of sympathizing with its own creator. 3 p.m., 3 in the afternoon, that darkness is broken with this cry. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me. You see, I do not believe for a moment that it was because that Jesus did not understand. It was just as there in the Garden of Eden when God came after that the sin had been committed in the Garden. And God came there in the day to walk with them. And he said, Adam, where art thou? God knew where he was. God knew exactly where he was. But Adam needed to answer for himself where he was. It was Adam that needed the answer to the question, not God. But God asked for Adam's sake, where art thou, Adam? Do you understand where you are? Do you realize that? He 
See, I don't think that it was that Jesus didn't understand as he hung there on the cross why God had forsaken him. But I think in his humanness that we truly cannot begin to understand what it was like for the holy God incarnate in the flesh to be forsaken by the holy God, the Father of all creation. We can never fully grasp that. We can never fully understand that. We'll never fathom the depths of the abandonment. You see, God outside of time, God in eternity past had planned this event. He knew that it was our only hope. He knew that it was the only way. But we need to understand, sin separates man from God. When Jesus became sin for us, when he took our sins upon us, he had to be separated from God the Father. Don't even try to get your mind around it all. But he did so that you would not have to be separated from God for all of eternity. Now you can choose that yourself. And as I said this morning, you will face God one day. You will face your creator. There is absolutely no doubt about that. Now you can either face him in Christ. You can face him with Jesus and there's no sin on this one, Father. You see, he's in me. When God looks at you, he sees Jesus and not you when you're his own. His sacrifice paid for your sin he took the entire debt, and he paid it in full. And you can stand before God with that debt paid, or if you rather choose, you can stand before God with all of your sin on your own shoulders, and you can face God with it. That's the only two choices that man has. We need never, ever fathom the depths of the abandonment of Jesus Christ as he hung there on the cross, as he became your sin bearer, my sin bearer, as he hung there, undoubtedly, this was the climax of his grief in that separation from God. Our sins not his. That's why he was the only sacrifice that would do. Our sins separated him from his God. It is this separation that is, I think, the greatest tragedy of death for anyone. Death. If death were as some thought that it just kind of was a ceasing to be, a ceasing to exist, if we just go back to the dust of the ground and there is nothing there, we may not have anything to look forward to, but we have nothing to fear either. That can't hurt. We won't even know anything. So, I mean, there's no reason, you know. But if there is a creator, if there is a God of eternity and that Holy God, if it's our sin that separates him from us, who is our only life, what was it Jesus said? I'm the way, the truth, and the life. 
No man cometh to the Father but by me. You see, to become sin for us could only be paid for if he became sin for us by being separated from the Father. It had to happen. This is the event that we're looking upon. There's a very important distinction that we see here that is made between the martyrs that have died for their faith and that of the Lord. You see, time and time again, we can look back just as we find, and we can find this recorded not only in the Word of God, but in history itself. In Acts chapter 7, notice what it says beginning in verse 54. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. When they heard what things? Stephen, being a witness for his Lord. Notice his words just before that. Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did, so do ye. He stood there. He's telling them right out, you're resisting the Holy Ghost just as those before you have. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them which showed before the coming of the just one of whom ye have been now the betrayers and murderers who have received the law by the disposition of angels and have not kept it. It wasn't nice to have to face their sin of what they were doing to Jesus Christ. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed on him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. And they cried with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witness laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. When he had said thus, he fell asleep. You see, as Stephen was passing from life into death in this world, he saw Jesus at the right hand of God. He saw the Lord. But Jesus, on the other hand, because he had become sin for Stephen and for you and for everyone else, even those that have laid their lives down for their faith, that you might have the opportunity to be here tonight, to hear God's truth, to know what God has done for you. Many, many people, it's cost them their lives. You see the difference. <laughs> when they left this world, they looked and saw Jesus. But because Jesus took their sins as he took your sins, he was utterly forsaken. <laughs> he didn't see God as the others did because he was sin for us at that point in time. 
Through these, his fourth words from the cross are the very first ones to turn to his own agony and suffering. We need to remember that in this, the deepest agonies, Jesus was acting on our behalf. The first times, everything that he said, he was speaking on our behalf. Here, the very thing that he's doing, that these words are the cry from his heart, is because that he is acting upon your behalf. He is taking your sin upon himself. He was forsaken just so that we could be reconciled, so that we could be restored to that position that God so much wanted us for when, when he created us. In Romans chapter 5, verse 11, and not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ by whom we have now received, past tense, as a believer, because of what Jesus done, received the atonement. <laughs> he died for you, paying for your sin. As he hung there in all of his agony, as his blood was being shed, as he was forsaken and alone on our behalf, it was because that he was atoning for your sin. He was paying the price that we deserve for our sin, but he did not. But at that point in time, I remind you again that the Word of God said that Jesus was a propitiation for our sins, but not for our sins only, for the sins of the whole world. I don't care who you are or where you are tonight. The price that Jesus paid, he paid for your sins in full. But if you reject that, if you turn from that, if you shun that, there is no other payment. God was being satisfied for the sins of mankind so that any of those that would come to him in faith, for by faith, by grace, are you saved through faith. God's grace towards you. God giving you what you don't deserve and not giving you what you do deserve. By grace are you saved through faith. Faith is the only way of getting there, friends. God's grace is there for you. But your only way of getting to that grace is through faith. There are some Bible words that should be beautiful to every Christian that describe what was taking place here. These words like atonement, reconciliation, redemption, remission, and yes, one of my favorites, propitiation. W.E. Vine says this in his great explanation of New Testament words. He says, through the propitiatory sacrifice of Christ, he who believes upon him is by God's own act delivered from justly deserved wrath. And he comes under the covenant of grace. Never is God said to be reconciled 
a fact itself indicative that the enmity exists on man's part alone and that it's man who needs to be reconciled to God, not God to man. God is always the same. We looked at that in our Bible study this this morning. He changes not since he himself is immutable, unchangeable. His attitude does not change towards those who change. We change our minds all the time. He can act differently towards those who come to him by faith solely on the ground of the propitiatory sacrifice of Christ, not because he has changed in any way, because he is acting according to his unchangeable righteousness. The expiatory work of the cross is the means whereby that the barrier which sin interposes between God and man, that barrier of sin that separates us from God and his holiness is broken down. By the giving of his life sacrificially, Christ takes away the power of sin that's able to separate you from God and the Father. You see, it's because of your sin that you're separated from God. It's only when you do away with the sin that once again you can be reconciled to him, have that relationship that he wants. It's all through the work of Jesus Christ. His death on the cross. His shedding of blood for you. His vicarious, substitutional, if you would, sacrifice for your sin. That's why God can show mercy to sinners. Because when Jesus hung there and said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He took your place in being forsaken from God. He took your sin. He bore your sin. And if you'll accept it, you'll never be separated from God again in eternity, but if you choose to face God with your sin, then that will be your choice as you stand before God. Jesus was forsaken and alone as he hung there, separated from his Father because he was bearing the guilt and the shame for your sin, for my sin, for the sins of the world. He alone, because only he could do it. He was the only sinless sacrifice. There was no other. There's never been another. It was one time in history. It could never happen again. It never needs to happen again if you'll accept what Jesus did for you. Him paying the penalty, the price for each and every one of those sins before a holy God. If we could only begin to comprehend the loneliness, the the aloneness that he was facing there, that he was experiencing there when he cried these words. And I read you these words in closing tonight. We've looked at the ones in Romans already, but John writes these words in 1 John. First of all, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, he is the propitiation 
for our sins, not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. God said his sacrifice was sufficient for anybody that would come, for all the sinners to be paid. And just over in chapter 4 of that same book, he tells us this. He says, beginning in verse 9, in this, in what Jesus Christ did for us, in his aloneness there on the cross, in this was manifest the love of God toward us. It shows you just how much that God loved you. Because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Herein is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. We talked about that this morning. The only way to really show our love for God is to allow God's love to be seen through us towards one another. That's not something you can make up. That's not something that can be artificial and work. It's real and it's genuine because God loves each one. God loves you so much that he paid the ultimate sacrifice. And I can't begin to explain it to you this evening. I can't begin to even understand, let alone explain, the depths of what Jesus Christ was going through there on our behalf. When at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, he cried those words, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The answer, for your sins, for my sins, because he became sin for you. Father, as we think this evening, the reality of Jesus hanging there, bearing our sins, becoming sin in our place. God, the depths of his agony as he was separated from you, we deserve that separation because of our sin, but he, the sinless one, deserved nothing of the sort. Yet, he was willing to take on that deepest, deepest agony so that we would not have to. Lord, I can only pray that you know the hearts of everyone here this evening and others that may someday listen to this sermon elsewhere. But I pray, Lord, I pray that you would speak to hearts as only you can. I pray, Lord, that you would show each one the depths of that love for each one. And I pray, Lord, that for each and every believer here this evening, that you just remind us just how much that you loved us, just what it was. Help us, Lord, not to get away from what it was that you were doing for us. Help it to be fresh in our memories. And we'll give you the praise and the thanks for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.